Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 61 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, my guest today is a bit of an enigma. She's a follower of Vincent as a member of The Righteous, and she also just received a ticket to gold to be in the ROH Women's World Title Tournament this summer. Quite frankly, she kind of scares me a little, so uh, I'm glad we're not doing this interview in person. Uh, she is Vita Von Starr. Vita, welcome to the show. Kevin, thanks for having me. Well, uh, you know, you're you're in the news because obviously um, you're in the quest for gold tournament. You just got your, your ticket to gold, as I said. So what would it mean to you to win the championship? And really, you would be the face of, of a new era in the uh, Ring of Honor women's division. To be honest with you, it's something that I've thought about for uh, a while now. Um, I always wanted to be in Ring of Honor, even uh, even when I was still in training. It was a goal of mine. And then once I, you know, became part of the Righteous, that was a dream come true for me already. So of course, I want to go all the way. I want to take this as far as I can go. And uh, the next step for that is winning gold. So yeah, it would mean everything to me. Well, you made your in-ring debut not that long ago on uh, one of the women's division Wednesday matches on YouTube. Uh, it was against Sumi Sakai. And um, I got to say, even though you came up short in that match, I mean, you were in there with a veteran, former world champion. Do you think that maybe you surprised some people with how well you did in that match? I think definitely, yeah. I think um, I think a lot of people thought that I should have gone over and it was a really close match and but you know Sumi is a legend and she is trained in shoot style and she is a veteran so I knew it was going to be hard um but uh I had had a great time wrestling Sumi she's amazing and I can't take anything away from her uh but uh I think we all know how how everything worked out in the end and Honestly, I don't think people really remember uh, her being victorious over me. Is uh, in the end, really, you know, the the righteous walked away doing what we had to do. Right. Well, and like I said, it was obviously you know the, the Ring of Honor fans know Sumi. She's been wrestling here for so long. Like we said, she was the first Women of Honor World Champion, a veteran. She's uh, she's a trainer, which we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. And you, you know, were, uh, like I said in the beginning, an enigma. No one really knew what to expect. They had seen you, uh, and they'd seen you get involved in a lot of the Righteous's matches, so they knew you. I think you were a force to be reckoned with, but first time they'd actually seen you as a competitor in the ring. So when you think about that, here's, here's someone making their debut against a veteran and former world champion, and like you said, you nearly 
you nearly defeated Sumi Sakai. So that was impressive. And I think you were certainly deserving of that ticket to gold. But let's talk about Sumi and you for a second, because you guys actually have history together, correct? We do have history. We have a decent amount of history, actually. Um, would you like to elaborate or do you want me to? Well, I was going to say, Sumi, I know, um, because you are a trained professional wrestler. We certainly saw that. Sumi played a large role in your training, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I started out at Chikara for three years and uh, knew that I was destined for something much greater. So I, uh, you know, again, Ring of Honor was always a goal of mine. So I went to the Worldwide Dojo, which wasn't too, too, a little bit further for me, but uh, still doable. And I uh, trained with Cheeseburger a long time, and Sumi is one of the trainers there. So I have had the privilege and honor of training under her and uh, learning some Japanese-style bumps and some shoot-style stuff that she teaches a lot of different stuff that um, I don't learn from other trainers. So, uh, yeah, I've, it's, it has been a privilege and an honor to train under Sumi, and uh, we have wrestled each other in the past we've also tagged together on the indies so um yeah this was not our first encounter well you also mentioned uh cheeseburger who's uh, now known as the world famous cb uh and training at the worldwide dojo and so i gotta ask you i mean you trained under cb you trained under sumi sakai who are obviously not only great trainers but anybody who's ever met either one of them they are really good people. So I have to ask you, how in the world did you come under the influence of Vincent, who is about as polar opposite of Sumi and Cheeseburger as I can imagine? Well, things have a way of aligning. You know, um, everyone has, has a path that they're on. And uh, quite frankly, I've always had a little bit of a darker path. So it was really uh, only natural, actually, that I, I came to be part of The Righteous and work with Vincent. Um, really, it was just the stars aligning, to tell you the truth. Well, and I'm, I'm going to ask you the tough questions because that's what, I, uh, that's what they pay me to do here. So I uh, hope you don't take offense. But um, I see what Vincent gets out of this by having you and Dutch and Bateman all in his corner. I get it. Um, he has three loyal followers to do his bidding, but what is in it for you? What do you get out of it? Well, like I said before, I feel like I'm fulfilling my true purpose. Um, the divine works in mysterious ways. And uh, I feel like myself when I'm with the righteous, when I'm with Bateman and Dutch and Vincent, um, we align aesthetically, um, spiritually, and uh, we're a family, we're a unit, and we get things done together. We work together very well and uh, think the results speak for themselves. Well, I can't argue with the results, and uh, you guys certainly do work well together, and you, and you certainly do get things done. I want to read you something that uh, Vincent wrote about you. Uh, for the, uh, he, he wrote basically his, his, uh, 
his origin story, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, for the uh, uh, Ring of Honor website. And here's what he had to say about you. I'm quoting. He said, Vita was someone with bottled up anger and resentment from her past abusive situations. I wouldn't say she needed help. She needed an outlet. Vita needed someone to pick up the bottle, smash it against a wall, pick up a piece of the broken glass, hand it to her, and tell her to go do what she got to do, man. So that's what I did for her, and now she feels more free than ever and has that outlet to scar those who have scarred her. So to those who may not be familiar with her, I suggest you keep yourself at arm's length, end quote. Um, well, I tell you what, I, I definitely understand the part about keeping you at arm's length uh, because you clearly have, have established that you are a dangerous person, someone to be reckoned with. But after, I, you know, after you hearing something like that, after listening to that, uh, do you see how people like me could think that Vincent is just an opportunist who stumbled upon you when you were vulnerable and then basically manipulated you and brainwashed you. Yeah, I guess I could see how you might see it that way. But um, let's go back to what Vincent wrote because that was beautiful and I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, he did give me an outlet. And he did awaken a power in me that had been suppressed. And uh, yeah, I have uh, some things in my past that I'm not super proud of. And he gave me an opportunity when I was down. So of course I'm gonna be loyal to him. Okay. Do you still feel like that you're your own person though? Or are you, basically Vincent's, you know, I just picture Vincent having all you guys like puppets on a string. Is that, am I, am I way off base there? Um, a little bit. We are continuing his work, right? So he's, uh, he's not here right now and we're continuing on the righteous work that Vincent wants to get done, but we are still all our own people. I have 100% free will and Vincent allows me to flourish. He, again, he gives me an outlet where I can manifest my truest self, where I can be the best that I can possibly be. And that involves inflicting violence on others. Okay. Well, you know, you mentioned that we haven't seen Vincent uh, for a while, I guess basically except for that brief moment when uh, he popped up on the Tron to taunt Matt Taven after Matt was, you know, mysteriously or not so mysteriously attacked backstage before uh, he and Mike Bennett had their uh, Ring of Honor World Tag Team title shot. Uh, so, I mean, can you tell us, like, where has Vincent been and uh, when can we actually expect to see him back on the scene, not, not just, you know, in a video on the Tron? Um, these are questions that will be answered when the time is right, and we will all just have to be patient and await his return. Okay, fair enough. Okay, well, Ring of Honor fans, obviously, uh, they've seen Vincent over the years when he was Vinnie Marcelli. I think they know a lot about him. Uh, we know something about Bateman. You know, we know Bateman's been around 
he's a veteran of the independent scene before he came to Ring of Honor. We're learning about you, uh, but we know nothing about this big man, uh, Dutch, who dramatically burst onto the scene when uh, Taven and, uh, and Vincent were having their brawl back at their old stomping grounds. What can you tell us about Dutch? Dutch is an inhuman monster. He is the perfect addition to the righteous and uh, he fits like a glove. Um, as soon as I met him, I felt like I had known him for years, felt supernatural. And uh, again, you know, d divine intervention and the stars align and this is the, the perfect situation for our family. You mentioned, you keep calling uh, the righteous a family. When you say family, I don't know what it brings to mind with, with some people, but when you use the word family in, in regard to the, the righteous, I, th I see Manson family. I see the, uh, the family uh, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre or the Firefly family from the Rob Zombie movies. I mean, is that what you mean by a family? Yeah. Those are all, all good descriptions, I would say. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. Well, that's frightening. All right. Well, uh, we are just getting started, though, here with Vita Von Star. We've got a lot more to cover. Uh, we're going to take our first break, and uh, we'll be back with more. Want to hear post-match interviews from tonight's competitors? Want to see exclusive brand-new matches? Want to learn about breaking news before anyone else? Week by Week is the perfect companion to everything that happens on ROH TV. It premieres every single Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern on the official ROH YouTube page. That's youtube.com slash ring of honor. Stay informed on the best wrestling on the planet. I'll see you there. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Vita Von Starr from The Righteous. I want to go back uh, to the very beginning, and I want to talk about your, your origin story, so to speak. Um, let me ask you this. Did you have what you would consider a quote-unquote normal upbringing? I would say that nothing about my life has ever been normal. Okay. I didn't have a normal upbringing. I didn't have a normal school experience. Um, I had a lot of relationships that were not normal. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that that's okay everyone's different everyone um thrives in different situations everyone has different obstacles to overcome i understand you were into the uh skateboarding culture uh when you were growing up is that is that true yeah that is true so what was what was that like um yeah skateboarding and snowboarding was a, a huge part of my life actually for, for many years uh, I spent a lot of time on the road, um, going to contests and stuff like that, sleeping in the car. So, you know, it's, uh, this whole wrestling lifestyle was not new to me whatsoever um, once I, I got into it. Um, I learned a lot about just pushing through. You know, uh, there's a huge amount of failure in skateboarding and snowboarding. You know, you, you fall constantly. So I took a lot of terrible, terrible bumps, um, pro wrestling, but, uh, you just keep going, you know, you push through, you, 
um, you deal with the pain. There's a lot of physical pain. There's a lot of mental anguish, frustration, and uh, you do have to be a, somewhat of a masochist to to do it on a regular basis. But uh, I had tons of amazing experiences doing it. I got to travel, met tons of great people. Um, you know, I, I love flying through the air and uh, there's no greater feeling than like doing a huge trick that you were like, you know, it's scary, you know, dropping into, you know, a huge half pipe is terrifying, um, you know, but uh, it's also just, that's what makes it so rewarding and uh, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. And uh, it's always been a learning experience for me and really just made everything that I, everything else I ever did after that um, seem attainable. Now, I understand that you weren't really a big wrestling fan growing up. So when did you discover pro wrestling? How did you, and how did you discover it? Yeah, I discovered wrestling later on in life for sure. Um, I had known some people who were into it. Some girls that I, I knew from the skate scene, from the punk scene were, were starting a train and they're like, we were going to start this DIY women's league. It's going to have a punk aesthetic. And I was like, cool, that sounds fun. You know, we were going to do promos in between bands playing and stuff. You know, we were all involved in like those kinds of scenes. And uh, I was always in, you know, again, I've, I've been an athlete my entire life. I've been a performer my entire life as well. So um, the combination of physicality and artistry was something that I was always into, like immediately. And uh, I knew it was going to be a ton of training. I didn't know that it would basically take over my entire life. But um, that was how I got started. So, you know, I started training with five other girls. Uh, one of them still trains with me to this day. And uh, yeah, that was, that was six years ago. So I've been training six years now. And, uh, but I mean, it's soon, the first class I ever took, um, Drew, Gul Drew Gulak was my first trainer, actually. Um, mm -hmm. So I always, uh, you know, fell in love with the training immediately. Um, I loved the rolls, the flip, you know, the flipping. I did gymnastics as a kid. So all that stuff was um, really natural for me. And uh, that, that was day one, and I, I haven't looked back since. Well, it definitely sounds like your background prepared you for wrestling be, with the skateboarding and snowboarding. It's like you said, uh, you know, taking the bumps and bruises through that and, uh, and really, I guess, becoming sort of fearless uh, because of doing that. And then uh, your athletic background as well with the gymnastics. So it seems like the, was sort of the perfect marriage for you. Um, but I, I know that you were, uh, you eventually joined the circus basically, right? You became a circus performer. How did that, how did you get involved in that? Um, yeah, so uh, a circus has been my shoe job for more than a decade. And kind of, kind of same deal. I started out as a student and was just immediately hooked. So from, you know, my prior athletic experience it was really natural for me to be up high and be upside down and uh yeah way less fear you know um like nothing honestly nothing has ever been harder than than skateboarding um ment mentally and physically and uh so being you know 20 feet high 
with a mat under me, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is a, I have no fear whatsoever. You know, a lot of people are scared of heights, but that was like not a thing for me at all. Um, and because I already had an artistic background, I um, pretty early on into my training there had started getting booked for professional circus performances. Uh, I did a lot of corporate gigs and theatrical stuff. Um, theatrical stuff I prefer because it's more artistic. Um, but uh, it provided a good living for me and uh, still does. I actually just started um, just started doing it again with a, you know, after the pandemic and everything, started booking work. So between wrestling and circus, um, I don't have to have a day job. So that's, a, that's always been a plus. So when we talk about the circus, this isn't necessarily uh, like Ringling Brothers type circus or a traveling circus, right? This is a little bit different. Uh, it is, actually. Um, there's, there's many different types. Um, so, yeah, I do do uh, – Ringling is considered traditional circus, which usually has, you know, like animals in it. Um, the more modern circuses usually don't have animals, and uh, that would be more kind of like Cirque du Soleil, which is a little bit different aesthetic. Um, so yeah, I've definitely done stuff like that, but I, I've done so much like weird stuff. Uh, I did a gig where I was hanging off of a bridge. I've done like a lot of installation kind of site specific stuff. I've done lots of EDM dance parties, like 80,000 people, like huge LED screens, lasers everywhere, like super intense. Um, I've done cocktail parties and weddings. Um, so it's a, a real gamut of work. Well, there must have been some wild weddings. <laughs> Circus going. <laughs> yeah, I've been to, I've been to some, some weird events for sure. <laughs> What would you say is uh, either the most outlandish uh, thing that you've done with the circus or maybe the most dangerous? I would guess hanging from a bridge sounds pretty dangerous. Yeah, that, um, that one was intense. Uh, I, I loved it. It was like a movie set, to be honest with you. Um, so I was like 65 feet high, I think, where we started. And you climb up the bridge and you're like looking down at the river rushing by underneath you and uh, so the first time I climbed the bridge I was like ooh, this is uh, kind of you know was, my heart rate was going a little bit um but then you know that's where rehearsals for you get all the jitters out and stuff and then it became very soothing actually um being up that high waiting for the show to start and uh it was a really cool show because you would people would like rent boats and you buy tickets you rent a boat and then you watch the show from the river and so I'm like up you know, 65 feet high with my friends looking at the sunset and it was very surreal. Um, so yeah, I've had the privilege to have some really cool experiences like that. Did I hear right that one time you did something circus related in a cemetery? Yes, I have performed in a cemetery multiple times. Um, that's one of my favorite shows actually. We normally do yearly. It's called Ghostly Circus in Philadelphia. And it's uh, Laurel Hill Cemetery, which is a very famous cemetery, huge. It's uh, humongous. And that's also right by the river in Philadelphia. And it's beautiful. It's so, so beautiful. It's one of my favorite parts of Philly, actually. And um, that one, out of all the shows 
that I've done, I probably had the most leeway with creative expression. Because uh, a lot of shows, you know, they'll be like, oh, wear this costume, use this music or whatever. Um, but that one was, you know, we still have a storyline that we're following, but we have almost like 100% creative control over our acts, which is very rare. Um, so it's amazing to see what people come up with. And uh, I'm really good friends with the entire cast and uh, the costuming is always so beautiful. The music is always so beautiful. Um, I've done some of my favorite acts in that show. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of my favorites. So when you mentioned like some of your favorite acts, like what, what, like give me an example of what you would do in a cemetery. <laughs> um i uh my specialty apparatus is aerial chains so uh i um we hang from a tree and i have chains hanging from a tree and uh i flip around on the chains and do stuff um i really i'm a big metalhead so uh i like to use darker heavier music which is really never works for corporate gigs you know you don't really ever get the the chance to do that um, and the music informs the expression. So, uh, musicality is super important to me, like how well you express the music and how you tell the story through the music and through your movements. So, uh, being able to like physically express a metal song on like aerial chains to me, that's, you know, that's one of my happy places. Well, I can uh, certainly understand now after having talked with you some more, why Vincent thought you would be so perfect for the righteous. I'm just, I'm picture for, I'm picturing you <laughs> hanging, hanging from that tree in a cemetery. That's exactly. Got right, yeah. That's got righteous <laughs> written all over it. Um, well, since some of these things that you do are, you know, they do involve heights. Uh, most of them, I guess, from the way you uh, described it, most involve heights. Uh, have you ever had any uh, close calls? Was there ever, a time where maybe something malfunctioned and, uh, and like I said, you had a close call or a scare. Thank God. No, that's one of my biggest fears. Um, because it's, it's very rare, but occasionally it does happen. Occasionally there is an equipment malfunction and, uh, people have died in Cirque shows before. It's extremely rare, but, um, it's always shocking when it happens. Um, you know, I know that I can trust my grip and I've done so much rehearsal, so much training that I trust myself with whatever I'm going to put on stage in front of people. But, you know, and when, with rigging and stuff, we have multiple eyes on it, but mistakes still happen. And, um, you know, equipment does occasionally fail and it's occasionally unpredictable it's absolutely terrifying. Um, that is absolutely one of my biggest fears. Well, I guess in a sense, it's kind of like pro wrestling in that regard in that, um, you know, tragedies have happened in the ring, but they're, they're, they're very rare. But every time you step in, in the ring, uh, there's obviously a chance of, of injury and, you know, sometimes catastrophic injury. So I guess uh, that's nothing new to you with your circus background. Um, yeah, I just like to defy death. Um, I've never been able to do anything that doesn't hurt me and that isn't dangerous. But um, yeah, that's uh, for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, with wrestling, same thing. You, you 
do thousands of hours of training and, you know, you know, your stuff and hopefully, you know, you're working with someone who's capable and everything, but mistakes happen and there's no way to plan for everything. There's just not. Um, so it's, a yeah, that's always a thing for sure, but you just try and be as safe as possible. I was just thinking because of your, your, your background, uh, your athleticism, uh, things you've done with the circus and, and even uh, skateboarding and snowboarding. Have you ever done any stunt work? Well, and if not, is that something that you would want to do? seems like it'd be a natural for you. Um, yeah, actually, I not, not specifically. Uh, like all the stunt work that I've done has been like skateboarding and a theatrical show or, or you know, something like that. Um, but uh Yes, stunt school. I was looking at that for a while, actually, because I, I did do a decent amount of acting training in New York. And, you know, there, there's schools specifically for stunts and all that. But, um, yeah, no, I uh, never, never did that specific. I mean, like, I, I do stunts and shows all the time, but it's like circus and wrestling right. kind of stuff. Okay. All right, well, we're going to take our second break, and then we'll be back with more with Vita right after this. I'm Maynard the Malt Maker. I'm Mega the Bard. I'm Ender the Barbarian. I'm Santi the Bard. And I'm Pia the Wizard. And if you want to see us try to attempt to rob a boat, check out Roleplay of Honor. Join these stars and more for... Role Play of Honor. All right, we are back on the RRH Strong Podcast. My guest is Vita Von Starr from Righteous. Uh, in our last segment, you had mentioned music and that you're a big fan of, uh, of metal. Uh, I'm a metal head myself, uh, but I'm just curious to see if we like the same genre, uh, the subgenres, <laughs> I guess, of metal. You, I think you're more into like the death metal scene. Is that, is that right? I do enjoy the extreme genres. Yes. For like sure. who are some of your favorite bands? Um, Cannibal Corpse, Carcass, Orbit Angel, um, stuff like that. But I mean, I, I'm a music lover, so I have an appreciation for most things you know I, I i'm a snob i'll like be honest like i'm definitely a music snob but um i mean i i have moods that i want to listen to um skid row and motley crew and just like whip my hair around you know uh i, I love johnny cash um you know anything i i have an appreciation for most things so um i'm curious what kind of metal you listen to so i'm older than you you know uh so i grew up on Kiss, uh, Alice Cooper, some of those classic rock bands. But um, also, you know, I got into the British metal scene, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, uh, Saxon. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Yes, I love all those bands. Oh, you do? Priest, Priest and Maiden are two of my favorite bands of all time. Okay. And I try to sing like Bruce Dickinson because <laughs> he has the best vibrato. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so how about the artwork for uh, Number of the Beast? You gotta love I that. love Iron Maiden artwork. It's yeah. all the best. It's the best. <laughs> have you Classic. seen Maiden? Have you seen them live? No, it's like the worst. I like do not understand why it's never happened before, but like somehow <laughs> it never has. But 
it'll it'll be life changing when it when it happens finally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're one of my favorite bands ever. Like I am like obsessed with Iron Maiden. Yeah, you would dig it the most when Eddie, you know, the giant Eddie comes out on stage. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, but you know, as as far as more modern stuff for me, and when I say modern, I'm talking about <laughs> bands that started in the '90s uh, and are still around. You know, Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson, uh, big into them. Which I'm sure I know that you're into Rob Zombie. That's pretty obvious. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as uh, you know, I can't name any. I, you know, I've never heard of, would you say Cannibal Corpse? and Cannibal Corpse, they've been Car- around for ages. Yeah, what is it, Carcass? Was that was the other thing you Carcass, said? Carcass, they've been around a long time too. Yeah, I don't know much about them. Uh, when I was younger, there was a band called Death Angel. Are you familiar? I love with Death Angel. Okay, so we do have a little common ground there as well. Totally, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're talking about like Bay Area Thrash is like, like that's what I grew up on. That was like my intro to metal was like thrash and you know metallica you know sure. of course i listened to metallica when i was a kid and then as i got you know sabbath is my favorite band of all time um so like i love all that stuff um but that you know that, that those were like my first introductions to metal and then when i started to um learn about death metal and like more extreme genres and you know then i didn't care about metallica as much you know because Everyone knows that only the first four albums were good. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, then once I started um, hearing more extreme stuff, then I just like wanted the heaviest thing possible. Right, right. Now, you might um, take my metal card uh, after I say this, but how do you feel about the hair metal genre? The more pop, melodic stuff like Poison, warrant cinderella because i love those bands as well is that is that not metal enough or, or do you like no no i totally get in the mood for that stuff sometimes okay. um i want to like dance to that kind of music you know uh it's fun i yeah i i have an appreciation definitely now being a performer yourself and um loving that loving the the metal scene have you ever thought about getting into the you know having a band or something like that yourself or have you already have you done that at some point yeah i was in a bunch of bands actually I, um, some reason i had a feeling you you had been i had a feeling yeah uh yeah i love it i mean again it's kind, kind of like same lifestyle you know li- living in a van sleeping in a room with a bunch of people selling merch um yeah music has always been a huge part of my life um, it was never like the thing that I tried to do professionally, but it was always something that I needed to have in my life. And uh, I had great experiences being in bands. Um, I uh, I was always the vocalist. I was always the lead singer. Um, and yeah, I did have a couple of extreme bands. I was in a couple of death metal and grindcore bands and uh, did a, all the vocal training. You know, I, I have... You know, I like legit like train my voice how to do that. Um, yeah, and I miss it honestly. But uh, kind of, I was kind of like wrestling full time, and uh, I had a band probably shortly before the pandemic started, and um, it became hard with booking shows, and uh, I just had to um, just kind of had to like focus on one thing because. Uh, double booking sucks you know you never want to like 
be that person like have to you know cancel a gig or something like that so um so I haven't really been doing it recently because of wrestling, but I, I do miss it. And it's, but it's still, you know, it's still a part of my life. I'm dying for, you know, live music shows are just starting to come back now. You know, they were like hit so, so hard by the pandemic. You know, some of the fans that I like are starting to play again in September. Um, and the music industry was just hit super hard by the pandemic. Um, so yeah, that's been, uh, that's always just been kind of like a way for me to chill out and relax, just go to a metal he- metal show and, and drink some beers with people. So hopefully that'll be a thing, a regular thing again soon. Yeah, for sure. I was kind of, uh, amped up for that Motley Crue, uh, stadium tour. Hopefully they'll reschedule, uh, all the stuff. Yeah, hopefully. I think they've they've said it now to like 2020, the summer of 2022. But did you? I don't know if you caught it, but I don't, did you hear Vince Neil? Um, he, he him and his solo band went out like last week or so, and um, you know there were some YouTube videos of it. It sounds like maybe it was a good thing that they postponed that stadium tour for a little bit. Uh, Vince wasn't sounding too good. I don't. Did you, did you happen to catch that? No, I didn't. I feel like he hasn't been sounding good for a while. But it's been a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's. It happens. The, the the voice, you know, it's a muscle like anything else. You got to maintain it and take care of it. So. It is. Hey, Kiss is my favorite band of all time, and uh, you know, I have to admit that uh, Paul Stanley, he just can't. He just can't sing the way he used to. You know, he's getting a lot of flack for. Uh, I guess, you know, a lot of people think, well, I think it's pretty much proven that he's using some backing tracks. Yeah, uh, they you know, always do. Yeah, but it's like, I can't, I mean, the guy's 67 years old. You know, he's been doing this for 40 years. Uh, it's okay for him to cheat a little bit, I think. Yeah. You know who still sounds amazing, though? Who's that? Rob Halford. Yes, he does. Absolutely. He still sounds just as incredible as he always did. He does. There are some that, that never lost it. He's definitely one of them. Well, let me... Yeah, uh, he is an inspiration. Uh, definitely. Let, let me shift gears to another thing I know that you're into, which is horror movies. Um, as we said earlier, Rob Zombie certainly seems like a big influence, uh, not just his music, but uh, his movies. I guess specifically the... Unholy Three, the trilogy of Devil's Rejects, House of a Thousand Corpses, and Three from Hell. Big influence on Righteous. Um, I, I imagine you're a huge fan of, uh, of, of those movies. Of course. Yeah, totally. We had Bill Mosley, actually, uh, on this podcast several months ago. And uh, I don't know if you heard it, but he, he's actually a big fan of yours. I what I did listen to that podcast and um it was so crazy to me that he knows who I am because <laughs> when I was a kid watching those movies um yeah like it, this is why it, it's it is cra- it really is crazy to me um yeah I've always been such a huge fan of those movies and he's he's amazing you know um the fact that he knows my name is crazy to me yeah, imagine that. Otis B. Driftwood himself is a fan of yours. That, that's, that's, that's pretty cool, I have to say. That's pretty cool. It's a huge honor. <laughs> well, other than the Rob Zombie movies, um, and let me ask you this. Are you a fan of his other movies besides just that trilogy? Like, uh, what was it, Lords of Salem, 31, 
I do. I like I like all of his movies. Um, the trilogy is definitely my favorite, but yeah, I I like all of them. What did you think of his Halloween reboot? I loved it. I thought thought it was great. I thought it was a a great uh, retelling of a classic. You know, it's always like kind of a weird thing when you redo something that's so well known. You know, but um, he's an artist, and uh, I've you know all his work um you know he did like a scene in beavis and butthead like an animated scene like a trippy like animated scene you know i love love all like the psychedelic stuff that he does um yeah i i loved it personally yeah i like what he did with halloween with the first one the way he uh, told the backstory of michael myers but i gotta say the second one the sequel is um it's one of the worst movies i think i've seen <laughs> I did not get the, it reminded me of the exorcist and the exorcist Two because the exorcist classic, one of my favorite movies of all time and the exorcist Two, the heretic is, is laughably bad. I mean, it's not even, <laughs> it's just one of the worst movies ever. And I think, you know, how, I don't know how you feel about it, but I thought Halloween two kind of fell into that a little bit. It's just um, probably should have. Yeah. The first one. I could see that. Uh, sometimes I, still enjoy movies for the aesthetic value like if the um the kill scenes are good and the gore is done well you know i'll still be into it even if the storyline isn't great you know if mm-hmm. even if the writing's like a little bit off but if i like it aesthetically then i'll still watch it now are you the type of person that likes to go like just as a as a fan as a as a patron to go to like haunted attractions and stuff like that. You know, Rob Zombie has, I know, a huge attraction um, every year. Do you like to go into those types of things? And and if you do, uh, do you get scared or do you scare people? Um, so I love haunted attractions. I worked haunted attractions for many, many years. Okay. Um, Halloween is always my happy time of the year. So um, I was one of those people who scared people and made them pee their pants. And uh, I, so there is an art to it, um, you know, and you do training for that just like you do anything else. Uh, there's definitely an art to it. Um, so I love that. Like I loved working them and uh, I love going to them as well. And it's pretty much impossible to scare me. Um, just because I've done it so long and like, I know how those things work. Um, but I'm not going to be like one of those like jerks who, who like can't appreciate, you know, like right. I still, you know, there's still good act, you know, you, there's good acting in those things sometimes, you know, there's bad acting, you know, like anything else, but, um, Philly has a, a lot of really good ones. Like we're, um, like our region is, is known for like really good haunted attractions. Um, so we have a uh, Pennhurst Asylum, which is a was a real insane asylum, I think, in the seventies, and uh, it has like super crazy vibes. Um, and you definitely like feel, you know, like stuff like that. That's um, you know, you know that there were like legitimate tragedies and stuff are, I think, kind of kind of more interesting, but. Uh, yeah, there, some of the other ones have, like, cool, like, artistry with, like, you know, uh, pyro effects and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I love that stuff. I love Halloween so much. Um, and, yeah, I love all that stuff. 
Are you familiar with the place called, I think it's McCamey Manor? That's like one of these like really extreme haunted attractions. It's almost, it's like legalized torture where it's like so extreme. You have to sign a waiver to get in. Um, have you ever seen the, you know what I'm talking about? No. Where is that? Uh, I'd have to look it up. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but it's like, it goes way beyond your normal haunted attraction. I mean, it's very hands-on and it's like literally, um, you know, pushing you to the brink. And like I said, you have to sign a waiver that basically says if, you know, if you die, it's not their fault. Oh, interesting. No, I don't know about this. Uh, This sounds interesting. (laughs) It it is a haunted attraction to the extreme. It's, uh, yeah. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, you should look it up. I've seen videos of it on YouTube. It's nothing that I would, uh, it's nothing I'm brave enough to do. I'll I'll say that much. It it sounds like something I'd be into. Probably. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds like a a real horror movie. Yeah. It is. It's (laughs) like, they want to give you an experience of like a real, so you feel like you are in a real horror movie and you don't go through it with like a group of people. You go in like by yourself and they literally have, you've signed the waiver that they can literally do just about anything to you. I mean, that's crazy. Put, yeah. They'll like, <laughs> put your, they'll put your head in like a bird cage or something with a snake or a tarantula. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. It's like, they'll dunk your head in, in like water and like, you'll feel like you're drowning. I mean, it's like really hard. I don't know how it's legal. Even with yeah, signing it a waiver. Like it's not, it can't be legal, but. <laughs> right. Even with signing a waiver, I don't know how that can be legal. Yeah interesting let me go back to the movies just for a second um are you are you a fan of like the older horror movies too like sort of the classic universal movies or is it pretty much just more of the modern stuff um i like some of the older movies um like what 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 movies are you I talking mean, you about like the old like, classic like dracula frankenstein the wolfman oh yeah i like film noir i like all okay. that stuff um you know that that's uh, its own genre and its own aesthetic and uh, yeah I, I you know Bela Lugosi and all that stuff yeah for sure yeah I mean not necessarily scary by today's standards but certainly back in the day uh, it was scary I think for audiences and and yeah, yeah they definitely have their own charm to them for sure and uh, yeah I think it's cool you know I like the the analog look you know yep. um, it's it's cool. I'm I'm totally into that stuff. I mean, Nosferatu from nineteen twenty two, the silent film, I think is is uh, still holds up. That legitimately I think is scary. Scared me when I was a kid, still creeps me out as as an adult. Yeah, I haven't seen that one since I was a kid, but uh now I kinda wanna go back and rewatch it. <laughs> yeah, still uh, Max Shrek still creeps me out to this day. Uh, well, let, let's talk about you, though, as far as acting. Now, you've, you've been in some uh, horror movies, correct? I have, yes. Well, tell me about that. Tell me some of the movies that you've been in and, and uh, what part you play. I'm guessing you didn't play the damsel in distress? No, I've never been cast as that. Um, I was in a, a movie called The Dark Military, and I uh, was part of a group of killers, so this this is not my my first time uh, murdering people. So um, yeah, I might be getting type, typecast a little bit because uh, I always find myself in these kinds of roles. Um, but I uh, yeah, I I did a lot of acting training um, 
kind of throughout my whole life. I actually studied at a conservatory in New York City full time for two years and did a program there. And uh, was uh, I was for a while. I was commuting from Philly to New York a lot for auditions and filming and stuff like that. Um, so acting, yeah, it's always, again, it's another thing that's always been kind of part of everything I do. Um, it's just far, like, I've always, just always had to, I've always had to be training in something and um, perfecting my craft and uh, always have to be creating art. And, you know, now acting is like, you know, doing promos and stuff like that. And uh, it's interesting how things come around. Um, really everything that I've done in my life has prepared me for pro wrestling because I, I really do use all of the tools that I've learned throughout my life in wrestling. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And, and not only prepared you for wrestling, but it seems like specifically prepared you to be in the righteous. It seems like you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, you know, I was saying that before, um, it really, really was the perfect situation for me to end up in. I couldn't have asked for a, a better faction to be a part of. And, uh, I love Vincent. I love Bateman. I love Dutch. like working with those guys is always awesome. Pretty much seamless. We're, you know, kind of like always on the same page with stuff or, you know, if we're not, it doesn't take us long to get there. Um, yeah, it, things just work out the way they're supposed to sometimes, you know? Well, I could tell you, they don't, uh, they don't seem like lovable guys to me, but I can understand <laughs> after having spoken to you uh, today, I can understand why they, uh, why they would be that way for you. Yeah, yeah, we're, um, we're, we're a tight-knit unit. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to uh, take our final break, and then when we come back, we're going to play 10 questions with Vita. This is the prestigious one, Joe Hendry, here to tell you about shophonor.com. That's the new location to go to for all things Ring of Honor merchandise. We've got an amazing selection with the prestigious Ring of Honor logos, but also we've got merchandise for all your favorite Ring of Honor stars. So go support the company, go support your favorite wrestlers, shophonor.com. I'll see you there. Hey, Honor Nation, check out the new and improved Ring of Honor shop at shophonor.com. Shophonor.com turns ordinary online shopping into a truly immersive experience. Our new mobile-friendly design is enhanced for better navigation and search. The recommended for you feature will showcase products based on your unique preferences, or find exactly what you want as you filter any category by your favorite wrestler, size, or color. Go to shophonor.com now. All right, we are back on the RRH Strong Podcast. My guest is Vita Von Starr from The Righteous. Vita, uh, I know I've asked you a lot of questions, uh, but now I've got 10 more for you. Are you ready to play 10 questions? Yeah, let's do it. And it is now time for 10 Questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What's something on your bucket list? Northern Lights. Hmm, okay. 
Question number two, what's a subject you'd like to know more about? Um, I just started playing guitar again, so I would, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Okay. So you were the lead singer in, in your bands, but you also, you, you can play guitar as well. Yeah, I play guitar and piano, actually. Okay. Multi-talented. Multi-talented. All right, question number three. I'm going to phrase this one a little bit differently for you because usually I ask people, uh, do you believe in the existence of the paranormal? And if so, have you ever had an experience? I'm going to, I'm going to assume that you do believe in the paranormal. So my Definitely. So my yeah. question, though, is have you ever had a legitimate paranormal experience? Um, one of my friends had an apartment that was definitely haunted. So, uh, I experienced some paranormal stuff when I was there. Uh, weird stuff like bread falling off the shelf for no reason and, uh, weird banging on the walls that like definitely wasn't the furnace or something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely... Definitely believe in paranormal. Okay, okay. You seem like someone who may have have used a Ouija board at one at some point in your life. Am, am I right? I have, yeah, yeah, on occasion. Okay. You always have to say goodbye at the end, right? Yeah, uh, I haven't done it since I was a kid, actually. But um, yeah, we definitely used to do all that stuff at sleepover parties, like light as a feather, sip as a board, yep. all that. Let me ask, uh, this is sort of a, another uh, a sub part of question three. What do you think of these ghost adventure or ghost hunting shows like Ghost Adventures? Is that a work or, or is that a shoot? What do you think? I think most of those are a work. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's just too easy to make that into a work. And, you know, it's like any reality show where you're just trying to, to get the, the biggest pop and yeah. go for the ratings and stuff. It breaks my heart because I want to believe in it so bad. I know. But my, you know, my heart tells me it's legit, but my head tells me there's no way it's legit. I know. I want to believe it too, but. All right. Question number four. If you could have a conversation with any celebrity or historical figure, alive or dead, who would it be? Um, Mary Magdalene. Wow. That's. I've not gotten that answer in 60 episodes, I think. <laughs> that is a, that's a great answer. Uh, I, I think she's a woman who was uh, really understood in history and uh, was, um, I think her story was rearranged by the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Question number five, uh, who would play you in a movie about your life? Oh, gosh. I've never had this question before. Um, I feel like Kristen Stewart could do it. Okay. See that. All right. Question number six. Uh, we talked about music earlier. So what is the first concert that you attended? The first concert I ever attended was Garbage. Okay. Shirley Manson. Yes. Big fan. Yeah, I remember Garbage back in the day. Yeah. I think they had, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know they had like at least one good CD, but I don't know that they ever really followed up on it. Yeah, I definitely remember the one good one. And then 
yeah, things got a little weird. I don't know. I yeah, I think I only listened to the one, but See, I, I remember would... her being cool. Oh, like, she's a, definitely a cool. cool. Like, yeah. yeah, cool. See, I was hoping you would say something like when you were a little kid, you saw like uh, Sync or the Backstreet Boys or something. <laughs> something like totally out of character. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I did. I definitely did have like a, a little bit of like a boy band phase when I was a kid, but I'm pretty sure it didn't last too long. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you would scare the boy bands. Um, <laughs> scare those guys. All right, question number seven. What's something popular? that you don't see the appeal of? Um, oh my gosh, so many things. Uh, yeah, I haven't gotten into the TikTok craze, to be honest with you. Um, I just, I, I feel like I, I don't have the, the time for additional, um, additional social media stuff. Uh, but there, there's like, I like the puppy videos and stuff like that, but uh, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna go with TikTok. I know people love it, but I just just can't get into it. Actually, judging by this podcast, a lot of people don't love it because that is the answer I get most frequently when I ask that in ten questions. You oh, know? really? Yeah, <laughs> so many funny. people do say TikTok. So that's funny. Um, yeah, clearly it's popular, but not necessarily with the Ring of Honor locker room. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> All right, question number eight. What's the last TV show that you binge watched or are currently binge watching? American Horror Story. Now, have you seen all of the seasons? The most recent season I haven't gotten through uh, yet. I think it was, it was 1984. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've, I've definitely seen all the other ones. Now, what did you think of the season that was, I believe it was called Cult? Did that kind of remind you of, of anything? <laughs> Yeah, that was terrifying. Uh, that was the scariest one, really. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, terrifying. Yeah. You see any similarities between uh, Vincent and uh, I can't remember what the character's name was in that movie, in that, uh, that, that Yeah, because I, I he's in every single season. Right. Um, I think his name, is it Kai in that one? I forget. I think it was. Um, I think it was. They're both charismatic. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both someone that you want to hang out with, but maybe have a little bit of a fear of, uh, yeah, there's a couple of similarities. Okay. Yeah. I think you, you want to hang out with them. I don't necessarily, <laughs> I'll be honest. I, I'm more of a Matt Taven guy, honestly. Oh, uh, that's disgusting. Oh, I didn't think you'd like that, but uh, Taven's a hell of a guy. <laughs> All right. The worst guy ever. Oh, come on now. All right, so question number nine. Who is your favorite horror movie villain? Um, my favorite movie, horror movie protagonist, and he um, could be a villain or could be a baby face, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but I love Bruce Campbell in the Evil Dead trilogy. Um. So he's just always someone that I think about with like characterization and comedic timing and all that. Um, so yeah, Bruce, Bruce Campbell is one of my favorite actors of all time. Okay. All right. I could definitely see that. 
All right, this is the 10th and final question. Uh, we've established, I think, at this point that you definitely can scare some people, but what what truly scares you? Uh, what truly scares me? Car accidents. Um, yeah, uh, something happening to my family. Yeah, that, those are really boring answers, but, you know, like the real stuff is what scares me. Sure. stuff you know well real life is yeah, scary. yeah. Fear, fear I, I even though uh i do things that i could die on all the time i you know death is still still fear okay all right well uh those are all the questions i have for you uh vita before i let you go uh can you tell fans where they can uh, follow you on social media yeah, you can find me on Twitter at vvonstar, and I'm on Instagram as well. It's Vita Von Star, V-I-T-A-V-O-N-S-T-A-R-R. So follow me, and uh, yeah, I'd lo- love to hear from fans. Well, Vita, I uh, really appreciate you taking time out of uh, whatever, uh, whatever it is that you do there uh, on the ranch with Vincent. Uh, giving us some of your time today. I want to wish you luck going forward, certainly in the uh, women's title tournament this summer. Uh, but take it easy on Matt Taven. I think, you know, and Bennett, I think you guys have done enough. The Righteous has done enough. Um, yeah, we're, we're not going to do that. Um. <laughs> I, I didn't think so. But uh, all right. Well, well, like I said, best, best of luck to you going forward. And uh, hopefully Taven and, and Bennett uh, know now to always, always watch their backs. Okay, well, I want to I want to uh, thank everybody out there for listening today, and remind you that a new episode of the ROH Strong Podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked into ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com/slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Also, for the latest ROH news and views, you can read my column X Files every Friday on ROHWrestling.com. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying, stay safe, stay away from Vita Von Star, uh, and let's all be ROH strong. Bye.